Hello and welcome to Art on a Podcast, a podcast created by Art on a Postcard. We're only a couple of weeks away from our winter auction and the work is all stored and being uploaded online. And I've got to say, um, some of the pieces are just incredible. Of the 600 lots, it's so hard to narrow down just one, but the more recent works that have come in um, that we've got um, have been David Harrison came in um, this morning. Um, and these are pencil drawings containing magical folkloric creatures. As always, David's cards are wonderfully surreal. I actually made a film with David in his studio recently, which you can check out on our Instagram TV, um, at Art on a Postcard. It's in his studio and he has a lot of fun showing me his um, mobile glory holes, which I will let you <laughs> take a look at yourselves. We've also had Sola Olalude's work come in um, recently, which I love. Her work explores intimacy and relationships, which you can see in the three monoprints that she's sent in of people in bed. They are lots 522 to 524. But in today's episode in particular, I would like to bring your attention to lots 318 and 319 two works created by Eduardo Terrazas. In these geometric abstract deconstructions, we see Eduardo's artistic exploration of 45 years into form, shape, colour and process. In today's episode, I chat with Eduardo about his use of traditional Mexican folk techniques, his architectural aims, and about reconnecting with nature in the Mexican countryside. Eduardo Terrazas's learned practice spans architecture, art and design, achieving a lively mix of geometric study and handcraft. Terezas has produced more than 600 works over 45 years. He first became interested in folk art as a museographer, later collaborating with the Huichol, an indigenous group of people that live in remote parts of Mexico. His series Constellations from 2013 involves traditional techniques of yarn painting on wood board, and fine beadwork in beeswax, processes that render brightly coloured or monochrome mathematical patterns with the formal rigour of de steel. His architectural training has led him to develop many projects in Mexican cities, while his design background informed his work as a collaborator on the design of the logo for the 1968 Summer Olympics. Hello, Rosa. Hello, Eduardo. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm in my country house. You're in your country house? Yes. Terrific. Is this is this where you've been for the past few months? Yes, exactly. I came on March <laughs> to spend uh, a weekend and I've stayed since then here. How, how have you been finding it being in the countryside as opposed to the city? I'm discovering nature again. I'm in a beautiful place called Tepoztlan. It's a little village outside of Mexico City, about an hour and a half from Mexico City. And it has some beautiful mountains. It has a climate that is rains and the greener of the landscape is fantastic. Beautiful. And the animals, sold birds and all kinds of animals come to visit you. Wow, that and sounds... all kinds of flowers and people of different that you're not accustomed to meet in the city. So yeah. it's been great. 
Have you been um, sort of uh, making art differently being in the countryside? Have you been sort of painting the landscape? Well, I'm color being reassured that what I'm doing is okay. Some of the works I do, I try to say, oh, I was right doing this kind of work. And mm. I'm, because the colors of the flowers and the colors of the nature, the symmetry of the of the trees, of the leaves, of the trees, of the grass, the type of grass, everything mm -hmm. becomes so, how would I say, the same, uh, so different from one to the other one. Mm, yeah. You see it. Yeah, I understand. I mean, making art for you is, you know, something that is completely in your bones. It's something you've been doing for decades. I was wondering, do you remember the first time that you made a work of art? Um, and how did your early environment shape you as an artist? Well, my father and mother and brothers and sisters, I was the smaller of my family. And my mother was a great artist herself. She was, she studied in the United States and she graduated as a painter in art. And she was a good painter. Right. So, since I was a little, I was involved with painting. We had a very nice environment. My brother was also an architect. He was older than I was, and he was also a painter. And I worked for him at one time, and he taught me a lot of things that I didn't know when I was young. And little by little, I grew. Then I graduated as an architect here in Mexico and went to do a master's of architecture at Cornell University where Alan Solomon was my professor of art history. Alan Solomon was a great American who was responsible to taking the pop art artists and to the Biennale of Venice in 1964 and he was the curator of that exhibition and he made Rauschenberg the first American who won the Biennale, an American who won not a European won the Biennale of Venice. So he was a great professor and opened to me again more about the art world. And I decided after Cornell that I should go to Europe to visit, to live a little bit, the, well, the great art that I have been working and living all through. So I had the, in my veins, there was the artistic blood of my family. And then through my studying and visiting, when I was in Europe, I met a Mexican director of a big exhibition, 11 Wagons of Railroad. It was called the Master Works of Mexican Art. It was an exhibition who was at the Narodowo Museum in Warsaw at the Petit Palais in Paris, and I was the assistant to that exhibition. So I stayed and lived in Europe for about three years mm. during that time. Then I came back to Mexico and was sent to New York to do the Mexican Pavilion at the New York World's Fair. So I was involved in architecture and painting, and so I was scared to have a big outlook of the world. Sounds like you had a really sort of um, global education because um, you began experimenting with uh, the formal relationships of geometric elements 
um, that you are so so known for now in the 1970s. I was wondering how has the landscape of contemporary art shifted since then, particularly in relation to the work that you do? Well, my works are trying to show the world what the world is all about, how life is so present in everything that we do and we don't understand how life is present in every little thing, significant thing that you do. And life is so an immense miracle that uh, we don't that we don't understand very well, but uh, we understand its presence of life and beauty. And life is manifested by what we call beauty. Yeah. And uh, the geometry of architecture. When I began studying architecture. Mondrian was exactly the same thing as Mies van der Rohe. If you Formerly, they are very much similar, although... Right, right. So, I mean, you take great influence from Mexican folk art, um, and it was wonderful uh, hearing about you, your situation at the moment in the countryside and the huichol yarn technique that you often use. Um, and it's said that the application of craft is an essential ontological process. Could you explain what this means um, and how the craft techniques that you use emphasize this? Yes, for me, techniques are are part of the way of manifesting what I was saying before, beauty and things like that. And you take a technique and you work on it to make it, to show the way you think it's best to show what you're calling life or beauty. And the, every technique has its own way of looking at it. And for instance, the technique of the Wicholes, they yeah. use it, they use the technique to have a vision of their gods and their angels and their, well, what we call gods and angels. They call them the, for instance, uh, they call it the deers are like kind of the angels for them and the mountain is something that protects them and but you don't you don't follow those things because you don't understand them but mm -hmm. you follow the technique that it makes them un present those things and without technique i present my own way of looking at my gods and my and my angels we have to show what our world is all about right now. In my serious possibilities of a structure, the book I did is called also The Possibilities of a Structure. With the geometry, I decided to create a, a geometry, a geometric structure, which with that geometry, vari making variations with that geometry, within the geometry, I have now 350 works that are part of that geometry without coming out from that geometry. Wow. It's like, it's like life. There's mm -hmm. a geometry like we all human beings are part of the geometry and we all are different, but we have the same geometry. It's incredible hearing you talk about, you know, how many work, you know, 350 works using this kind of geometric experimentation. And it's led you to work with such a variety of different spaces, you know, um, across canvases or huge block balls or installations and architecture. What do you notice when you adapt your surface? Like, how does the experience of creating differ across alternating surfaces in your work? 
Well, you have to first understand what you're trying to do. If I'm doing a facade of a building, I can use the idea of a painting I did, but I use it as a facade of a thing, totally different scale, different meaning, different way. And I try to adapt it to that purpose, to that objective. Mm -hmm. For instance, I have a mural I did with glass. And the first drawing I did with that, it was a drawing I did in 1972 with little scribbles of, that appear on an airplane. On the second window of the airplane, you mm -hmm. see in the window scratches from the outside world. And I tried to, to paint those scratches on the glass and make a, a hundred meters glass mural by 12 meters high. Is, is that on the, on the facade of the building? So the whole facade? It's inside of the facade of a, it's a, a cultural center which has a theater of 12,000, no, 1,200 people. Incredible. A theater of multiple uses. And the lobby of the, the theater has that Right, right. Wow, incredible. I mean, when I was reading about your work um, in pr preparation for this interview, I heard that you mentioned the meditative processes in interviews. Um, and for me, this is how I receive your work. Something similar to uh, a mandala, you know, you get lost in colour and thought. Um, and there's something very tranquil and calm about your works. But is there something in particular, some feeling or idea or aesthetic that you are attempting to create with every work of art? Is there a constant? Well, for me, the constant is what I call beauty. And it's my own way of perceiving what beauty is all about. Beauty is hidden in all the places in the world. And that's what I was telling you before, that beauty is hidden in the flowers and the little animals that come to visit me when mm. uh, night it comes darker and all the flies and the mosquitoes come to to see my drawing and, and they, <laughs> they run through the paper and, and it's fantastic to see them so alive and with such forms that you don't believe them that those forms are. I always try to show that people perceive life and beauty because that's part of our mission in life is to perceive life and to give others the life that you're perceiving. Yeah. It's um, so exciting for us to have you in our exhibition as one of the, you know, great contemporary artists of our time. So um, I'm truly grateful and uh, thankful for your time this afternoon as well. Okay, Rose. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having the time to take the time to study what I've been doing and to answer such intelligent questions. I love to talk with people like that, like you. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much. Have a great day. The same to you. Thank you for listening to Art on a Podcast. To find out more about anything in today's episode, go to artonapostcard.com and be sure to follow us on all our social channels at Art on a Postcard. Goodbye!